Are you a healthcare professional who would like to hear from experts in the field of pain care? Or maybe you are caring for a family member who is experiencing pain or health challenges and you would like more information. Perhaps you are a healthcare educator who wants to better inform your students or staff. Then you are in the right place. This is Faces of Pain Care, the show where we interview experts in the field of pain care. And now, the co-creator of the Wong Baker Faces Pain Rating Scale and the executive director of the Wong Baker Faces Foundation, Connie Baker. Hello, and welcome to Faces of Pain Care. I'm Connie Baker. Over the last two months, I've gotten to know our guest, Amy Colvin, and I am delighted to introduce you to her today. Amy Petit Colvin first discovered compassion meditation in the mid-1990s via a form of meditation called Samfat, a blend of Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. Looking for ways to share this type of meditation in a format that blended with her presentation style, Amy became a certified facilitator of Stanford University's Compassion Cultivation Training, or CCT, program, developed at the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. By combining her years of some thought practice with elements of the CCT program, she developed a transformative curriculum called Cultivating Compassionate Balance. Her mission is to help people discover and cultivate acceptance and compassion for self and others, so that in turn, they can thrive in their chosen fields. Through the media of her courses, self-compassion coaching, and her new book, Cultivating Compassion, Simple Everyday Practices for Discovering Peace of Mind and Resilience, Amy offers practical tools and techniques for anyone interested in positive personal growth. Amy, welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Great. Thank you, Connie. I appreciate you having me. It's going to be wonderful to chat with you for a while. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about this. So, Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you developed and really a desire to share information about compassion meditation. Well, you covered a lot of it in the intro, so thank you for that. Um, I... I got, as you mentioned, I got into compassion meditation in the mid-1990s, and quite honestly, in the beginning, I didn't do a lot with it. You know, I would meditate every now and then, and I would go to weekend workshops on occasion, but it was just not really something that was super prevalent in our life, and I'm sure you and a lot of our listeners um, can relate to that. It's like, oh, I know this is something that I ought to do, but I'm just not making time for it. Well, a few years ago, I ended up running into a very challenging circumstance in my life, and ultimately, I realized I needed to create change within myself in order to move beyond and through that situation, and I thought, you know, what in the world can I do that I'm not currently doing? And I thought, oh yeah, I know how to meditate. So at that point in my life, and this is maybe 16 years ago or so, I began sitting down and meditating more regularly. And I realized that, that ultimately I had a tremendous change and transformation for the better in my life because I made the choice to do that. So that was sort of an aha moment for me. It's like, oh, you know, if you actually just do it on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour at a time. It can be snippets here or there, but with intention, Mm -hmm. 
sitting and meditating for a few minutes a day or even intentionally bringing positive action out in the world, it can create change. So ultimately, through my own struggles, I realized the power of of meditation. And I, I used to struggle quite a bit with situational depression. And through the practice of meditation over the years, I've really gotten to a point where I can sense that coming on and I can deal with it before it really takes hold and becomes full blown. So that's part of where I developed that desire to share information about compassion meditation. And the other, the other key component that's, that's a little bit more current than that is I've had the good fortune to be a massage therapist for a number of years in a corporate setting. And what I'm seeing more and more or have always seen is that when people are coming in for massage, they might be experiencing some sort of physical distress. They might have sore shoulders or sore lower back or recovering from a sporting event. But I also see a lot of people who are really stressed out. And that stress has such an impact in the soft tissue and the joints in our body. And I, I began to think, you know, I love being a massage therapist and I love helping these people one person at a time, one hour at a time. But what if I could help them help themselves and empower them to make positive change so that they could manage their own distress, whether it's physical distress or emotional or mental distress. So that's the other aspect that brought me into this whole idea of, hey, I really want to start teaching about these ideas. I want to create a book that makes it very accessible. Oh, fantastic. And you actually started teaching these meditation practices in the workplace, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, In 2011, I ended up um, facilitating meditation classes three times a week. Uh, I work in two different locations physically, and so I would have, and it was very simple, but it had a really positive impact for people. It was 30 minutes each session, uh, you know, in Seattle on one day and Kirkland on another day and online on the third day. And for the 30 minutes, we would um, start out doing a Qigong series or do a little bit of warm up in our body, do a Qigong series. And then we would do something that um, I learned about through one of my meditation teachers, Leon Tan, um, a mudra meditation series. And basically all that is, it's a series of hand postures that when strung together in a certain way have a certain method of working with our own internal energy that chi that flows within us and it helps just to align our energy and um, help us work with some of the challenges that we face in daily life so that's all i was doing and it was just wonderful to have have these folks and what i what i also appreciate was that it wasn't The people that were attending my classes at the time were just really pragmatic business people. You know, it wasn't that they were really looking for some sort of, you know, new agey meditation change in their life. They just knew that they wanted to feel better in their bodies. They knew that they wanted to calm down their minds. And that's exactly what we were doing. Oh, I love that. Um, Yeah, I've, you've taught me the mudra meditation and as I've taken your class on um, um, compassionate, cultivating compassionate balance, and I love it. I love it because um, I think sometimes our, you know, people who are trying to do meditation, they're 
minds get ahead of themselves and they start getting busy in their head and have trouble really being able to meditate. And the movements really help me to be able to focus and uh, I, th- I just love it. So um, that's that's a great thing to be able to share with other people. So it, which brings me to wondering how how is your the compassion meditation that you share with people how is that the same or different than mindfulness we often hear about mindfulness and I I think being present and being mindful is important for us in this crazy world in which we live so how does what you are doing maybe is it different or the same as as other practices it's a great question and I you know I give so much appreciation to John Kabat-Zinn and all the other folks in his world that really launched the initial research on mindfulness and really helped create the idea of mindfulness as a commonplace term in Western society or United States society. And although I haven't taken a particular mindfulness course and John Kabat-Zinn's courses um, are mindfulness-based stress reduction or MBSR, some of the listeners might know that name. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't taken that course specifically, but my understanding of it is that its intention really is to practice mindfulness meditation, which is present moment awareness and mm-hmm. practice Present moment awareness can incorporate being aware of the breath, can be a little bit aware of sensations in the body. And from my perspective, compassion meditation uses mindfulness as a foundation and then goes one step further because we begin to connect with our heart. We've settled the mind, we've calmed the mind. And in the courses that I teach, we do cover that without a doubt, but then we take that extra step and we start moving into those heartfelt places. And so let me just give a quick definition of compassion that I really like. And I picked I picked this up at first while um, in the teacher training program at, at Stanford for their compassion cultivation training program. And the idea is that compassion has three components. The first component is awareness of the distress or the suffering, whether that's your own or someone else's. So you've got to be aware of something that's going on in order to be able to enact compassion. The second step is being emotionally moved by or emotionally touched by that awareness of the distress or the suffering. And sometimes that's where people end up getting stuck. That's where they stop. That's where empathy comes in. I see that, you know, you, Connie, are suffering in some way and I'm aware of it and and it tugs at my heartstrings and I, I empathize with you and, oh gosh, I'm so sorry that's what's going on for you. So that's the second step is being emotionally moved by the awareness of the distress. And the third step that differentiates compassion from so many other things is that in order to be compassionate, you have to take action. So, and that action can be on a continuum from big physical action. I'm going to give you the coat off my back. I'm going to volunteer at the shelter. I'm going to write a check to my favorite charity to something as subtle as with intention and with heartfelt desire, I send you 
a wish of wellness from afar. So right now, you're in Oklahoma, I'm in Washington, I might recognize that you are in distress in some way. I can't get to you right now, but I can make that heartfelt wish, either in silence or out loud or to you directly or not. May you be happy. I wish for you to feel better. I'm sorry, whatever it is you're going on for you. And so that's where that compassion comes in, is, is it, it moves beyond empathy into taking action. And the other really wonderful thing about that at, for the person who's extending the compassion is that active piece of it allows it to flow through. So for example, if you were distressed with something and I was empathic with you, I wouldn't end up being stuck for the rest of my day feeling your pain. I would take that next step. I would wish you well, and then we both get to move on. So that's a part of how compassion meditation is different from mindfulness. First of all, we're using that mindfulness as a foundation, but then we begin to connect with our heart. And in the process of connecting with our heart, we begin to empathize, and then we take some sort of action. Um, and there are different ways of teaching compassion meditation. Within the Buddhist tradition, there are things like loving kindness or meta meditation, all of which talk about what I've just discussed here. And then because I'm coming at meditation from a Taoist background, one of the things that I do differently that is not widely taught elsewhere is the fact that I do teach people how to and encourage people to again, connect with their own internal wisdom, connect with their heart, connect with their ability to feel their own flow of energy internally, their chi. And once they can begin to connect with that own internal energy flow or the chi, then sometimes spontaneous movement arises. It's like going back to that mudra meditation we just talked about, but the mudra meditation has a form in the practice that I teach or in the meditation style that I teach, I encourage people to just allow their bodies to begin to move in a free form fashion. It could be, it might look like somebody is doing Tai Chi, but they're doing it in a formless way. So that's where this particular practice is different. And the benefit that comes in with that is when you get the mind out of the way, I mean, you've settled it through mm -hmm. mindfulness, but you're not you're not really analyzing, you're not questioning, you're not focusing. As soon as you allow that mind to get out of the way and connect with that body and connect with that internal energy and allow it to move in whatever way it needs to, then healing, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, comes that much more quickly. It's a way to help people move through distress and pain a little bit more quickly as opposed to something like maybe talk therapy, um, which is very mental oriented, or even mindfulness meditation, which doesn't necessarily connect with the wisdom of the body as deeply. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That helps, uh, helps me differentiate the two very, very well. Thank you. Um, I, I know, and you know that I love the, uh, those three phases of compassion that you described. And uh, that was just a life changer for me when I, when you taught me that. Uh, the uh, opportunity to take action and get unstuck from that 
feeling of empathy is is powerful. I love that. Well, let's talk a little bit about your new book. This is an exciting time for you, and we've been um, communicating a lot during this process of your writing and now um, publishing your book, Cultivating Compassion, Simple Daily Practices for Discovering Peace of Mind and Resilience. Why did you decide to write this book? Largely because I, I am so excited about the ideas that I facilitate in courses. And I think that, I think that this time in life with the kinds of polarization that we're seeing politically, the kinds of really horrific acts that we're seeing worldwide, um, I think now is a really, really good time to just start spreading the ideas about compassion, about acceptance, about kindness. And so ultimately this book um, came about because of that. And the way it's put together is a little bit unusual. It's not, it's not a really text dense book where you just sit down and you read through chapter after chapter and I tell you, this is what I think, or this is what meditation or compassion meditation is all about. Really, it's an opportunity for you to explore your own thought processes and to begin to take some of these ideas, some, some of the inspirational ideas out into the world. So, for example, oh, in recent, you know, in the recent years, I think it was maybe 10 years ago or so, there was a study that came out, um, I believe in the European Journal of Psychology, saying that it takes, on average, 66 days of doing something to create a new habit. You know, back a long time ago, it seemed like it was 21 days. It's but taking longer now, shows huh? that it's 66 days. <laughs> yeah, it takes longer. <laughs> Maybe because we have so many distractions. Exactly. Um, so uh, this book is written with 66 very, very short chapters. Each chapter is two pages. And on if you were holding holding a, a paper copy of this book on the left-hand page, you would see an inspirational idea supported by a little bit of context. And then on the right-hand page, you'll find questions for self-reflection, you know, and then at the very bottom of the page are examples of how you can take this out into the world. So it's really straightforward. It's, it's bite-sized pieces and I, what my ultimate goal is to encourage people to get out there and just start practicing with the idea of cultivating compassion for self and acceptance for self. And once you have that foundation of acceptance and compassion for self, then you automatically begin to extend that outward. Um, so the whole book is really just very digestible, bite-sized pieces on ways to do that. And the some of the ideas, some of the inspirations, or some of the, the questions for self-reflection in particular may be so straightforward and may be a part of your life that it's like, well, yes, of course, I do this all the time. But there might be a few that end up helping you see where some resistance is and some sticky bits. And those are the ones where I really encourage readers to just sit down and 
think about it and notice that resistance. And if you need to bookmark that chapter and come back to it later, but it's, it's that process of really beginning to dive down and look at all the aspects of self, good, bad, and ugly, and begin to embrace them and move through them. Um, so that's, that's really why I ended up writing this book was because I, I feel so strongly that these ideas can have such a positive impact. And the other fabulous thing about it is as soon as you as an individual begin to feel better about yourself, begin to be comfortable in your own skin, that begins to extend outward like ripples in a pond. Mm. And ultimately you have that ability to create change amongst your family, amidst your friends and your community. And imagine if everybody started working with these ideas and being more comfortable in their own skin and more self-accepting and more self-compassionate and everybody started rippling outward, I really believe that there's the possibility to have a tremendous change on society. Mm -hmm. I agree with that too. I think the um, compassion does have a profound ripple effect that can change our world if uh, the more and more we practice these different ways of meditation and and just sharing compassion with others. Um, In your mission that I shared earlier when I was introducing you, you said that um, this can help people thrive in their chosen fields. How does this approach help people thrive? Well, in part, because I'm not... I'm not asking people to go sit on a cushion for an hour at a time. I'm not asking people to do this in isolation. So by the simple act of moving towards self-acceptance and self-compassion, I mean, that, that is a start, a foundation for creating a thriving life. But beyond that, once you get into a space where you are self-accepting and self-compassionate, then if you're, for example, in a leadership role, you have the opportunity to be a more benevolent leader. Um, I was just in a, a meditation workshop this weekend, and, and one of the students in the workshop was being asked about his work life. And one of the things that came out of it for him is to be a benevolent leader for his direct reports and to use carrots rather than sticks. And then when people, when people do well, be sure to give them the carrot. Um, so just changing that nature of leadership. The other thing that I think that can help anybody thrive, let's, let's for example, go back to the idea of healthcare because I know that's a field near and dear to your heart. Think about all the healthcare providers who may end up feeling Um, compassion fatigue or burnout. One of the things about moving into this space of self-acceptance and self-compassion is it helps us be more comfortable with and more clearly defined boundaries so that you can provide excellent care for your patients or your clients, but you don't become enmeshed with them. Or you can, you know, or if you've got a client there or a patient that you really like, and then maybe they want you know, their whole family maybe wants to, you know, friend you on Facebook. Everybody has their own choices around that. But by being comfortable in your own skin, you might be able to more comfortably say, you know what, this is where my boundary stops. I don't want to be that engaged with your family outside of this. 
or um, another, another way that people end up thriving is just by the ability to create a little bit of space, create a gap between what's going on in their work and their home life. You know, recognizing that, for example, I'm, I might say to myself, hey, I feel good enough about me, I feel okay enough about me that I don't have to be turned on all the time and giving 150% to work. I can give 150% in the hours that I'm there, but when I'm home, I'm home. Mm -hmm. And being able to detach from work in that way or detach even from difficult things that arise in the workplace and say, I, you know, I will work with this, but recognizing that you don't have control over everything all the time and say, okay, I'm good with that. Instead of harping over it and ruminating and, and being stuck on difficult decisions. Right. And I, you know, I just feel like the, the, having the opportunity to the gift of giving yourself some time for compassion meditation or prayer or however you want to um, communicate about that it gives you time um, to really tap into your heart intelligence. That's what we talk about in, uh, in the heart math techniques that I use so frequently. And I, our, our heart is so, um, gives us so much information, but in our busy world, we are not able to tap into that unless we, we really are intentional, intentional about taking a little bit of time and, and, uh, quieting our mind and listening to our heart. And that's when we get clear direction, I think about, um, what boundaries need to be set or what we need to be doing in a certain situation. And, um, I, I just think it's so valuable. I really, I'm, I'm really kind of harping on this myself right now because I, I don't think we can live in this world without it. I don't think we can do well. I don't think we can thrive without it. And I think it makes it difficult to care for others if we are not able to be settled ourselves. So I'm, I'm so grateful for what you're doing uh, through this work. Um, so, so you, you're pretty multifaceted in what you're doing right now. You have this new book that's coming out, you have courses, you do self-compassion coaching. Uh, how does all this help for people that might be experiencing pain, whether it's physical or psychological or emotional? Yeah, that's a great question. And Real quickly, I want to go back to another piece, and, and then it ties to this idea about working with pain, is that part of the reason why the book is the way that it's set up also is to encourage practice, 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 doing this every day, every day, every day. And the more we practice, the more it becomes second nature. And so this is where it comes into that whole pain cycle. I... I have experienced, you know, some physical pain, certainly not life-altering physical pain. Um, and like I mentioned before, I certainly have gone through rounds of um, situational depression. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I have found over time is that the more you resist against whatever is going on, whether, you know, you resist that pain and discomfort or you resist the emotional distress of depression sometimes that resistance ends up leading us to sweep things under the rug because you just don't want to deal with it and what this approach 
is doing is it's encouraging you to be open to it and to look at things and to rather than deny or suppress, lean into the difficult areas. And through that process of leaning in, often it can help reduce the pain and we can, we can harmonize with it and then move through it. It's really difficult to move through pain at, you know, in a way that doesn't involve pharmaceuticals. It's difficult to move through pain if you're not willing to acknowledge that it's there. Mm-hmm. And one of the, you know, a funny thing is that a couple of years ago, right as I was getting into um, this Stanford teacher training program, I ended up having it turned out to be a digestive disorder that basically created inflammation in my body, which in my case settled around my, um, my meninges. So my, around my brain and and around my spinal cord. So fairly effectively, my brain stopped working. Um, and I was in in a lot of physical pain and I would, I would sit there and I would think, Oh my gosh, I'm just entering a program at Stanford and by the end of the day, I can't do mental math anymore, or I lose words in conversation. And it was, I feel so blessed that I, I happened to be studying compassion at the time that that happened for me, because it was a reminder every single day to accept what I could do and not beat myself up if I couldn't do more. Mm. And at that stage in life, Sometimes a really big day for me was reading a couple of chapters out of a book, answering two emails and having a 10 minute conversation. Hmm. And beyond that, I would either need to go to sleep or I would start crying because tears were my natural outlet in terms of energy release. And I think that if I had, if I had fought against that or if I had, closed down because I was afraid, I think that it would have been a much longer process. But instead, I just took each day as it came. And I'm like, all right, I know I have limitations today. Let's see what I can do until I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I think this kind of approach can be really helpful for people is just recognize that maybe you're not doing everything you aspire to do, but do what you can do mm-hmm. and be grateful for that. And don't beat yourself up if you didn't do more. Yeah. Having self-compassion really changes your perspective on the challenges in life. And um, this is a great format for that. Yeah, you know, and a, a friend of mine um, has a chronic disease, and I noticed he posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago that, you know, he just ended up having an evening where he was, you know, yelling and crying and screaming and laughing hysterically, and it's what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. And he was really willing to own it and to share it and to say sometimes when you have lived for years with a chronic disease, it's what you got to do. Yeah. You know, you can't just always pretend to other people that everything is fine all the time. And that's where that willingness to sit with self 
And then maybe even find some loved ones to be able to sit with and go, I feel horrible. Mm -hmm. But that's not all of me. Right. That does not define you. Yep. That's good. That's great. Well, so tell us about the different programs you teach and, and maybe how people can connect with you. Sure. So um, right now, my my primary course is a is either a multi it's offered in either a multi week or a weekend format. It's called Cultivating Compassionate Balance, and basically, it's done in a modular format where we walk through the steps of this is how to meditate if you're brand new to it, to self-acceptance, self-compassion, compassion for a loved one, compassion for people that you might not know or you find to be difficult. So it walks through various steps. And I teach um, right now because I live in Washington, I'm teaching in-person classes locally on a multi-week format. I also facilitate classes online, which is, I know, Connie, you've taken my class online, and it's it's a wonderful opportunity for anybody in the world to be able to have access to these courses. Um, it's as simple as just, you know, we the floor, platform I use currently is Google Hangouts, and at, at a given time that we've designated for class, people all click a link, we all show up together, and it's a fully interactive class where Everybody has an opportunity to speak and to um, see each other and to listen and so on. And then when it comes down to small group discussions, then we all break off into our own individual links for our paired exercises. And then when the paired exercise is finished, we come back to the primary link and re-engage with each other as a group. So that's a really nice format um, for facilitating these classes. And the other thing that I also do is um, if, for example, you have a, a group of people in your community that think might be interested in this, I'm quite happy to travel and do weekend courses where there might be interest. So I know a woman um, who, in part because of this book, has contacted me and said, hey, I'm in Dublin. Would you consider coming out to Dublin to do a weekend class? And I said, sure, if you can get X number of people together you bet I'll fly to Dublin. Um, and I think you need an assistant. <laughs> sure. You want to come along? Absolutely. And then, and then also I'm really interested in 2017 in breaking into doing some work, um, in organizational settings, um, perhaps in hospitals or business settings, working with leadership teams, working with, you know, a variety of different business people, helping people get to the point where they, you know, they can embrace all of these ideas that I talk about in my public courses and I talk about in my book. And I can I can tailor make um, any type of curriculum for for anybody who might be interested in that. Okay. So people can find me um, at my website, www.compassionatebalance.com. Or you can email me at amy, A-M-Y, at compassionatebalance.com. That's great. Uh, listeners, I hope you'll take ad advantage of this. Is there, Amy, is there anything else that you'd like to add during um, this time? Uh, 
One last thing is, is, uh, the book, the book officially launches on Sunday. I thought it was so, such a wonderful idea to launch a book about compassion and acceptance mm-hmm. on September 11th, a day when so many of us think about distress and terror. And I thought, well, here's my little way to help shift the mindset around that. So, um, if you, go to Amazon on Sunday and you do a search for uh, the title, Cultivating Compassion, along with my name, Amy, A-M-Y, Pat T, P-A-T-T-E-E, Colvin, C-O-L-V-I-N, that book will pop right up for you, or you can use any combination of those search terms. Yes, and we're going to have a link for your book on, on the episode page, so people can get to that as well as your, your website, so... That, that'll be great. Well, thank you. And listeners, you can, as you heard, find out more about Amy Colvin and the work she is doing at CompassionateBalance.com. And we will have um, a link to her book on Amazon, which in her book is Cultivating Compassion, Simple Daily Practices for Discovering Peace of Mind and Resilience on um, Amazon. So we'll link that so you can have easy access. I've gone through her book and I just love it. It is uh, it is a few minutes of time each day and then giving you something to work with throughout your day. And uh, I think it's, it's gonna be transformational. So Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome, Connie. And thank you for putting these podcasts out there and for doing all the work that you are doing currently and have done Mm -hmm. for helping people find ways to work with their own personal pain. So it's been a pleasure talking with you. It's my pleasure as well. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Please visit our website at wongbakerfaces.org or email us at wongbakerfaces at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us today and thank you for making a positive difference in someone's life. This has been another great episode of Faces of Pain Care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss any of the new episodes. And be sure you check our previous shows for more information that will keep you informed and inspired.